0: Welcome to episode 152, Being Human and a Therapist, Awareness of Burnout, Roles, Power, and Therapeutic Love, featuring Julia Aziz, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn. Grow. Shine. Hello to our listeners. My name is Beth Irias, and today I am delighted and honored to be joined by Julia Aziz. She is a licensed clinical social worker, and she has spent a good portion of her career working with helping professionals and understanding um, how to be a human and a therapist at the same time and how to balance. The reality that we're real people outside of the room who have real things happen. I mean, before we started recording, Julie and I had a conversation about brain fog, <laughs> you know, so like things like that that come into the room um, and how we navigate being a helping professional um, while dealing with our own lives and thoughts and and worlds outside of the therapy room. Thank you so much for joining us, Julie. I'm I'm delighted to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Back.
0: So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and came, how you came to have this specialization in understanding therapist burnout and the reality of what it means to be a helping professional in today's world.
1: Sure. So much of my the work I do now, like you mentioned, is supporting other therapists. I'm a holistic psychotherapist and most of my clients are helping professionals themselves or their moms or mostly their women who spend a lot of their time and energy, tending to the needs of other people. So I started out in the mental health field, about 25 ish years ago. And I do work independently now. But for that first decade or so, I was in all sorts of different settings. I've worked in hospice, sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, alternative schools, psychiatric care, as well as counseling with individual adults, couples, families, teens, children, you name it. So through all of those experiences, I went through my own burnout and I also witnessed many colleagues uh, doing the same as well. So in 2004, I led uh, my first retreat for helping professionals with meditation, writing, movement. And I, since then, have been developing a body of work to support those on the front lines of caring for others. So currently, as a holistic psychotherapist, I do still have some individual clients. And I also am a big proponent of what I call self-healing and community. So I, I run a program called the Release and Empower Women's Circle, which is all about gathering the helpers together to express and care for themselves and using mind-body practice, witnessing in community. It's, it's powerful work and I, I love what I do and it's really an honor to be holding space for people who are holding so much themselves.
0: Today's conversation is really kind of, as you and I talked about it, what we're calling the integrity challenge of being a person and being a therapist. We are recording this right now in May of 2022. So we are solidly two plus years into a pandemic, so much burnout. And unending. I I don't know any therapists right now who don't have a full or over full caseload. Because the demand is just extraordinary. There's so much suffering, an increase in overdoses, increase in mental health disorders. And we as healers, helpers feel called to try to meet that need. But then we're suffering ourselves can you speak for a little bit just about why this particular topic was important to you and how we spend our time together today?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's important because if we're not well ourselves, how are we going to be any kind of companion and wellness to somebody else? You know, I, I think about, I don't know if you ever watched, uh, what's it called a million, million little things. There's a show and they they deal with some really important mental health issues. And oftentimes at the end, they'll say, you know, for support, call this hotline or reach out to your mental health professional or, you know, we see that tagged on to the bottom of articles about the pandemic and all sorts of things. And so that's great. And what about those mental health professionals, (laughs) you know, they're people too. And so if we have this system where we're relying on certain people to have compassion and presence and intervene in a crisis and um, be able to hold faith in many ways, you know, that, that it's possible. We have to feel that ourselves. So I guess I see it as um, w- there has to be a backup, there has to be a place where the helping professionals can go and be themselves and be humans and be vulnerable, so that they can regain their strength, they can regain that sense of, okay, this is a hard time, but it's a worthwhile journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to be here and i want to show up as opposed to feeling
0: sort of the burden of having to i appreciate the word that you just use in this idea of feeling the burden of having to and what i've seen in the in the field is this kind of struggle with accepting where we're at um and i'm speaking in generalizations absolutely but but looking at the field where for many of us, we haven't been on the front lines, you know, for those folks who have been in hospitals, who've been excluded from from that generalization. Um, but for most of us, we were able to go online, we were able to be in relative physical safety, but then we're putting ourselves very much at the emotional front lines, if you will. For me, I came to almost appreciate it as like this um, kind of shepherd in the storm, that we had this flock of clients that we were serving and tending to caring for. But what does the shepherd do in the storm? How does the shepherd stay warm? How does the shepherd um, cope with any of these trials when also looking over this proverbial flock? Talk to me about a burnout when the shepherd is exhausted and cold and tired. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: Well, you know, I actually would say that part of the challenge for helping professionals is this idea that we should be the shepherd.
0: And mm. it's not,
1: it's not just our idea. It's, you know, society's idea. The idea that if I'm supposed to be the expert in navigating for instance, a pandemic, which I've never lived through before, well, I'm not going to be a good enough expert. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know. And so if we see ourselves as a shepherd or a guide, it's a setup. You know, it's a setup to feel like a failure and and to get burnt out. On the other hand, if we instead of seeing ourselves as the expert, we see ourselves as a humble student of life, you know, that we're here to learn from whatever life experiences come our way. Then we can be more of a companion on the journey for each person so that we are, are looking with curiosity, not from you know, for instance, like if you've ever been listening to a client and they're sharing something and maybe you're going through that too. And internally you're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? It's like, what am I supposed to do with that? And, uh, but if you know, well, I don't need to know. Let's be curious about that. Let's, let's look together. I'm with you in this. And that's a much easier stance to take. It, it's um, less draining yeah. than this like expert position.
0: Yeah, expert position or like I have to be the leader here. I appreciate you in that um, finessing of that concept of this idea of like is part of just the construct, what makes it so burdensome that we are supposed to have all of the answers that we are supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to not get divorced, not have fights. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be perfect parents. We absolutely are not the person behaving poorly in the target checkout line. That um, mm-hmm. we we <laughs> put this pressure on ourselves to be these like perfect example human beings. Absolutely. I think it's it's
1: really comes with burnout. That, that holding, trying to hold oneself to this impossible standard that really is a pretense. You know, if you, if you look to the roots of psychotherapy, you know, with this, I, the sort of Freudian idea that we should be a blank slate. Well, no one's a blank slate, right? Like even a newborn baby we know carries intergenerational patterns from the start, um, and is affected by everything that happened before in the womb, right? And so how do we become a blank slate? We have to clear out our own stuff all the time. But we're not meant and and that's important. It's important to show up with presence and uh, availability when we're with a client. But we don't need to be perfect human beings. We're just human beings that are deep listeners that can give our attention to another person and are highly trained in all sorts of modalities that can really help somebody to release and to heal so that's separate you know and i think we by by trying to live up to this image we create this power imbalance and it's it's false you know anyone in the field knows it's false and I think there needs to be more awareness about that. Our therapists, I think in modern society, in some ways have become, have like replaced, I don't know, the the priests of long ago, you know, in in a more religious society, you know, we're supposed to somehow be above it all, but we're not above it all. And I think that, you know, when we can value, you know, how valuable is that to have someone who's able to give their full attention to you, to listen deeply, and then to, you know, offer, offer ways of working with it that are going to be helpful. I mean, you don't get that in regular life. Everybody's going through so much themselves. It's enough what we do. We don't also have to be or pretend
0: to be somebody who has it all together all the time. How do you balance that concept of the therapist being authentic in the room when also being human? And so I'm thinking of conversations, you know, I've certainly had conversations where a client says something that is wounding to me, that has a belief system that knocks the wind out of me. And I go into fight, flight, freeze, any other F you want to add in there. um, Because it's something that is um, activating for me. How do we balance this idea of being there with the kind of caveat of blank slate, (laughs) that we're actually humans as well?
1: Yeah, I think of it as remember that your first job is to regulate your own nervous system. So, so much of what we need to be doing, it's not about like, let me make sure everything in my life is okay. And now I can be a therapist. It's more the regular everyday practice of clearing clearing, you know, other people's stories and feelings and things like that out of our field, but also regulating our own nervous system. So really developing our own personal easy pathways from that fight or flight response into our ventral vagal nervous system where we feel calm and centered and can access Creative thought, and so then we can respond to the client in a multitude of different ways. But if we are stuck in that sympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. arousal, um, now we've just entered there together, and there's not we we can't even think straight. You know, we don't, we're stuck in our own stuff. And so I think the work, rather than focusing on what should I say to this person or what do I do, is that self awareness, like ooh. I I feel triggered. Yeah. Yes, it's happening right now. Let me take a deep breath. Let me feel my feet on the ground. What do I need to do so that I can get back into a place where I can just listen and, you know, access my intuition or my integration of the different tools I've learned to see what is needed here and now with this
0: person. You mentioned the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Can you speak a little bit about that on just for this um, activation physiology 101 of understanding like this is what's happening in our bodies and we therapists are not immune to this. There isn't any way for us oh to gosh. turn this off. And, and no. I would also argue, nor should we, um, but to accept that this is just part of the human condition and what the body is supposed to do when it's activated
1: yeah absolutely i am definitely no expert in this but i've been geeking out on polyvagal nervous system theory lately um and absolutely it affects everyone who's in a human body so so the way i think of it as you know you may clients you know sometimes may arrive to a session and they're in a good place and they might need to talk about some things but their nervous systems regulated. But they may also sometimes arrive and they're in this sympathetic arousal, the fight or flight, um, the anxiety, you know, ah, that sort of thing. Or maybe they're, you know, in that more reptilian brain dorsal nervous system that's just like checking out, you know, deep depression. Sometimes it just might look like, you know, not doing, not moving forward in any way. And it's really important for... So we also, therapists, of course, have nervous systems, and, and this happens to us too. The The work is to learn how to get yourself back into the ventral vagal nervous system, which is where we... Is that place where we're playful and creative because we're calm and we're centered, And they've even shown that, you know, what we hear and see is different when we're in these different nervous system states. So we have access to more possibilities of how we might respond to a situation when we're in that ventral vagal. So... If I and, you know, if you think about mirror neurons, we know that we affect each other, right? So if you are in fight or flight and you're the client and I'm a therapist and I start out in my ventral vagal, that's really going to be helpful. You know, we know how that feels to be around someone who's regulated. But if we're both in that arousal or I'm just checked out, you know, it's very challenging. There's there's nothing there, you know, to pull us back into that ventral bagel. So I just think it's, you know, this is just one way of understanding what's going on in the room. But I I find it really helpful to think of, you know, and I, I see this uh, for a mom too, you know, that your first job is to be the regulated nervous system in the room. So if I'm okay, I'm going to be able to respond and I'm going to be able to see things and hear things that I need to know in order to respond. But if I'm activated myself, we get
0: tunnel vision and we just don't have as much to access. With that concept in mind, knowing that even before the last few years, but particularly in the last few years, there have been so many challenges in our personal lives and our professional lives. We're not in a perfect world. (laughs) So there's this perfect world where we would be centered and we would have meditated for 25 minutes this morning and we would have eaten a balanced breakfast and our mornings would have gone well. And that may or may not have happened when we know that we're already activated. What do we do? That's, that's such a good question.
1: I'm glad that you presented it in that way because I am just feel so strongly about that. You don't need to have the perfect routine in order to get there. You know, you don't need to meditate for hours every day and, you know, have just these long extended times for all of your self-care practices, those things are good and they're important. And I think for one thing, I just want to say to everyone, it's okay to be high maintenance in that area because we, we need it because we actually have to be in a good place for our jobs. So for one thing, if you can make that work in your life, I say go for it. And, you know, if other people have to stretch to make that happen, that's okay, too. But on the other hand, there are so many simple, simple tools out there that we can use to shift in the moment. This isn't about controlling the external world and making sure everything's okay out here. Okay. Now I can go and do this work, right? It's like, okay, we have the tools. We, in some ways, we almost have too many tools that it gets so confusing that people think they need to learn more of them. And it's really more about practicing the ones that are simple and easy to integrate. So for instance, um, breath work, Most therapists I know have been trained at least a little bit in some different kinds of breath work, some easy breaths to do, right? So that's one way right before a session starts, right? Or in between sessions, you know, I like to go to the bathroom, get a drink of water. You know, when you bring intention, for instance, to say washing your hands so that you are actually, you know, asking the water to cleanse and I'm letting go of what just happened so that I can be present for the next person. And so we bring that power of our intention into these simple tasks. And that is, you know, the nervous system regulation, it's not about these, these big, um, big ideas. You know, it's really these simple, it's what's happening each moment by moment you know, so it doesn't have to be so complicated all the time. I think it's really important to keep it simple.
0: What about when we know we're burned out? And I'm, I'm just imagining so many folks listening right now, like nodding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, because yes. even in the best of times, we're all going to have things in our lives that burn us out. And we also may have client situations that burn us out. And yes. in a perfect world, I would be able to take a couple of months in Aruba and yes. be able to restore in the absence of that. What do we do? Yeah, well, for one thing, it's not
1: easy, right? Because we're not, it's not, there are systemic issues that affect all of us. And I just want to say that up front, because we are trying to be healthy in a, in an unhealthy yeah. world. And so there's that, um, but I think that when you, it's important to take notice when you're feeling that burnt out, when you're like dreading starting your day, or you're, you know, yay, somebody canceled, right? That is a clear sign that it you need a break, you know, and maybe you can't take those few months off, but maybe you can take two days and maybe you need some space so that you can start considering what might need to change either and there's both the internal and the external right like what need to change in my you know the way i'm showing up and my attitude and these things that we've been talking about sort of how do i do my day but also bigger lifestyle changes you know Do I need to cut back a little? And could I make some changes in my financial life to make that possible? You know, do I, um, need some unfocused time? I think that that's a big part of burnout is our work involves very strong attention and focus. You know, like we're really there and staying focused and especially for those who have either high caseloads, you know, seeing a lot of clients in a row or doing a lot of, you know, intense trauma work. There has to be balance with the, you know, lying on the ground and staring up at the sky, watching the clouds unfocused time time where nobody's needing anything from us or you know we're, we don't need to focus on anything it's that soft awareness is is really replenishing and and harder to get to now than it used to be because of you know modern distractions of technology and phones and all that um, but I think it's really important to know, when you're feeling that burnt out, something needs to shift here. And oftentimes it has to start with lowering some standards around, you know, and I don't know what those are for each person listening to this, but you might it's like we have to think outside the box. You know, what can I do less of? Um, How can I do I need to make a change in my schedule? you know, where can I get some space in my life? And it's, we get into habits, you know, we get into habits and it, it can lead to quite, you know, sort of like this martyrdom. Yeah.
0: Who wants to be in that? You know, that's not healthy for us or anyone else. I've heard from more than one clinician in my day. um, This idea that taking time off is unethical we we cannot have a client that needs to be seen and then not be there and then this idea that this word of unethical is like this sword that just takes mm-hmm. us out at the knees can you speak to that idea because i think what you're actually saying is the antithesis of that yes um, but to speak to that because i think for some people, I think we need to hear that of like, this is okay. And in fact, this is a, this is an ethical mandate for us to take care of ourselves, not the alternative. Absolutely. I think to be an
1: ethical therapist, we need to be in integrity. You know, we need to be walking our talk and absolutely to do if, if one is feeling resentful of their clients, That is a clear sign that there's some sort of boundary that we're, you know, crossing in the sense of I am not replenishing myself enough. That time off from caretaking and from listening and that kind of attention and from being in other people's struggles is essential to us having the inner spaciousness to arrive there. So I think, yeah, like you're saying, it is a part of being an ethical therapist, because an inte- being in integrity and being whole and taking care of ourselves, I think our clients want that for us. And when it comes to, you know, I really feel Yeah, it's like, yes. sometimes client, it's very hard, right? Like sometimes clients are in crisis and we want to show up and keep showing up. And it's coming right at this place where we also really need a break. I think it's really important to remember that a therapist does not replace community in somebody's life. And so if we are the only support in someone's life, we've got to look at how we're working with that person. This is, this is where for me, like the social work background comes in, you know, is that we have to look at the larger system here. We are not the end all be all and we shouldn't be. And we, we don't want to create that kind of dependency, not only because of what that does to us, but ethically, that client has to go and live their life, you know? So we need to help them build a support system and have people that they can um, connect with and somebody who can answer the phone when they're, you know, in crisis. We have to help people build that it, it really does take a whole village for all of us, you know. So if we find ourselves feeling like, well, I can't take off because that's going to be abandoning my client, we have to look at how am I helping my client to feel supported in general, not just through me. So yeah, we really need to be mindful, and this is part of ethics as well, of not fostering dependency, you know, we need to be a part of a client support system. And if they don't have that, part of our work is in helping them build and create that. And that's, that's really important, you know, that people have more than one person that they can go to when they're in crisis and when they need support because no one person can be that for everyone. And I think that's the that's the pretense that we actually need to let go of and to, you know, and and this is part of, you know, ethical practice. I think so much of, you know, so many helping professionals. It's like our the ego is tied to being helpful. And for many of us, we learned that at an early age, you know, for for different reasons, right? We all have our own individual stories, but it's quite common for helping professionals to be highly empathic, very sensitive and to be the person in their family that caretakes everybody else you know, to be the helpful one, to be the one, you know, oh, let me make everyone, let me just make sure everyone else is okay. Like, oh, there's this crisis, there's this stress. I'm going to be, you know, the good kid. I'm going to be the good one that doesn't cause trouble and that is helpful to other people. And so we form an identity around being helpful, You know, and so for what that can look like as an adult is that um, we get really, you know, our worthiness is tied to the work that we do. And that's dangerous. And that is a part of burnout, you know, because to know that we are worthy just just because we exist, just because any human being, any animal plant like just we are here. So we belong here and we don't have to prove that worthiness by um, whatever it is that we do for other people. When we can get to that place place that there's this relief, you know, and then we can just show up for our clients and be like, Hey, we're getting to meet in this time and place and I'm available and let's see what happens. It's just a, it's an easier place to be in together and so much can unfold. And I, I think it is something that's not often talked about, you know, the ego of helping professionals because, you know, generally we're a lot of, you know, nice people who don't come off as arrogant in any way, but everybody has an ego. You know, and and it's important to give ourselves what we need, so we're not trying to get those worthiness needs met through our clients. I'm glad you bring up
0: that aspect of it. Um, for me, I think embracing the research about outcomes, embracing the research about feedback informed treatment and deliberate practice was really a paradigm shift in challenging mm-hmm. my own, ego, my arrogance, my inflated sense of self-importance, and recognizing Mm -hmm. that when I was showing up in a room as expert, when I do that, I'm actually more than likely harming the therapeutic relationship. But for me, recognizing with feedback-informed treatment that, in fact, our outcomes are better as clinicians when we are not in expert position, when we are malleable and flexible, and open to feedback, and actively seeking it, um, but I, I think mm-hmm. it's important for all of us to evaluate how our ego shows up and what we do with that. You know, to circle back to your earlier point, are we mm-hmm. taking on this idea where we are solidly in shepherd position? We have to save our flock; mm-hmm. they will die without us, and that. Again, mm-hmm. like you said, it's this construct of pressure.
1: As, isn't it funny how you know, if we're less attached to outcome, that outcomes are actually yeah. better <laughs> You know, and it's it's this funny irony how important it is that we let go, you know, because if we, I mean, of course, we care, you know, and we, And many times want for our clients, what they want for themselves, but we're not in control here. And, you know, often neither are they. So it's, it's really important to, you know, the, this shadow side of a helping profession, you know, that, that you touched upon, you know, it's, If we are getting into perfectionism, for instance, you know, and, um, and we're focusing on, am I, am I doing well enough? Like, did I do that right? Or, you know, just trying to, you know, why isn't this person feeling better by now? And what am I doing wrong? You know, that's this we fall into that arrogance, right? We fall into thinking that it's all about me in some ways. And I think when we actually care for our egos, like when we're gentle and kind with ourselves and be, you know, saying to ourselves like, oh, sweetheart, like I know you care and you want this to go well. And I know it's hard and I'm with you and let's see what happens. You know, then we can show up And just more in the intention of, let me be of service here. I don't know what that's going to look like today, but let me be of service here. And then the focus becomes on the client and on the process that's happening, as opposed to whatever's happening for the client being some
0: kind of reflection on me and my value. It's an interesting point that you brought up. You feel pressured. Like you need to come up with a perfect intervention that's going to stop this conflict that's happening between a teenager and a parent. We could easily veer into a conversation about imposter syndrome and this idea mm-hmm. of like the pressure we're putting on ourselves to have all of the answers, but it also to me, damages the microcosm and macrocosm phenomenon of therapy that I think part of the beauty that can unfold in a therapy room is the shared humanity between therapist and client. Absolutely. And I think it, it doesn't even always need
1: to be something that's verbalized, you know, and, and you know, well, I don't know what to do, right? It's It's more you know, when in this type of situation you're talking about, you know, I think it's the therapist's job to help a client connect with their own inner wisdom because they're the ones living their lives and they're the only ones who are going to be with themselves throughout that entire life. And so if they can't learn to, you know, you don't want them to be relying on your expert guidance you want them to be learning how to access their own. And so if somebody brings something into the room and you find yourself thinking, Oh, I need to find the right, you know, what, what am I, what should I do with this? You know, it gets all into this. What should I do? And, you know, maybe this technique would work and that. Taking a pause and again, bringing this curiosity, you know, asking the client well let's let's explore that and and help them tune in again remembering that your first job is to come into your own regulated nervous system to just okay i'm here and i'm just going to be open and i'm going to trust what arises i always like to think about um you know, that all communication is improvisation, you know? So if you think about improv and how you're just like, you don't know what's coming and you're just gonna bounce off one to the next, you know? And so anything we're doing in the session, it's improvisational. And so if we enter it that way with this sort of creative mindset, it feels so much better than that pressure You know, that pressure, no one does
0: well under pressure like that, not that kind. I like that comparison of this being improv. And I think that it's because of our own anxiety with the concept of improv that we want to cloak ourselves, wrap ourselves in an evidence-based practice, some manual that we're going to grab on page 347 that's going to...
1: Right. Bopity
0: boop. Magically heal whatever this problem is. Um, But I'm I'm glad that you brought up that concept and this idea of like we we need to embrace the improv, um, because that's where something is actually kind of unfolding.
1: Absolutely, and it's oftentimes I'll see therapists when they're really struggling with, um, yeah, something like imposter syndrome or feeling you know empathic overload or burnout, will start seeking out more trainings. Well, if I just had some better tools, and I was better trained, then I'll be able to deal with this. And that again, looking at this, this shadow side, when we are being honest with ourselves, sometimes focusing on what we can do to help other people can be a way of avoiding what's painful in ourselves. And so, I'm, you know, training is wonderful. And I think especially in the first part of of becoming a clinician, it's really important in both for building confidence and for having the tools. And even later on, of course, do trainings because you want to learn, you know, because it's interesting and there's something more you can add, but it's not going to replace you making the time and space to be with your own feelings and to be in your own discomfort and to receive the support you need to to look at to look at yourself and what's
0: really going on. Um, Julia, I know that much of what you've talked about today has come from your own clinical experience. What is the real consequence of disconnection and the therapist burnout on therapy? Um, and, and I think that, I think it's important for us to know this as a gentle kind of, or else, this is why we need to take time off. This is why we need to make sure that we are also, um, you know, again, with this big asterisk called COVID-19, um, that we are doing our best to connect with other people and and to be healed ourselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, right. So aside from you know, the burnout in any field, a consequence being that you're going to lose people, you know, that people will eventually, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I see therapists like, what else can I do? I can't do this anymore. You know, Um, aside from people leaving the field, um, there's not a lot of research on this specifically, but there was a study published in the depression and anxiety journal in 2018. That's pretty interesting. They, They surveyed both therapists and their clients and they found that therapist burnout and low job satisfaction actually did have a statistically significant negative impact on clinical outcomes, which they measured through depression and anxiety inventories of their clients. So there's that, Um, but we can also just look to our own clinical experience. Right? Like, what's going to happen to the therapeutic alliance, which we know is this essential piece of good therapy. If, if, like you mentioned, a, a therapist is showing up just worn out and not wanting to be there, you know, what's going to happen to any alliance, to any relationship if you know this person is like worn out from listening? you know, and doesn't have any, you know, emotional capacity left, it's, it's clear that that is not only not a good situation for the therapist, but for the client as well. You know, we pick up on things and, you know, I'm sure you know this as a, with the feedback informed therapy you do, that it's not, we, we might think that we're putting on a good show, but, but clients can feel it you know, when our attention isn't there. Um, And that's not to say, I mean, I do think that a therapist can be having a life crisis, like be going through, you know, a dark night of the soul, a really hard time in their life, which happens in all lifetimes, right? They can be going through something and they can still have good sessions you know, it, it's not that like, just because you have stress that you need to take off every time, because how would we ever continue,
0: right? Especially in say, these types of things. If that were things. the case, and then there would be no mm-hmm. therapist left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just, just throw in the towel. But, but part of how that happens, and I, I think most therapists can relate to this, like when sometimes you're surprised, like, oh, actually that went well, and actually feel even a little better. It's because we're doing those simple practices that that are in the moment, you know, that I'm able even though the world is falling apart around me, I am able to feel my feet on the ground. I'm able to breathe and remember I'm okay in this moment. And I can give this time and attention to this one client for this one hour. And I'm just going to take it one by one, you know, rather than the whole overwhelming thing at once.
0: Our, ther- our clients are compensating us or grant is or an insurance company is, but we are being mm-hmm. compensated. We are, as I joke, being paid the big bucks. Um, to provide this service, and then we get into this interesting uh, category as the the healer is healed. Can you speak to that aspect a little bit? You mean um, being
1: healed, like being healed by the work yeah. that we're doing with by by us
0: acknowledging that this fills up our cups too, because I. I've certainly heard this. And I imagine many therapists have heard this before where a client says, you're only here because I pay you. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, again, on on the one hand, there's the fact that we're doing healing work in. Um, I love this. There's a a writer and teacher called Mark Silver. And he says that we're in late stage capitalism. And it reminds me of uh, doing hospice work. And it's just like, we're in the fall of a system that is really broken and dysfunctional. And so there's that, right? And on the other hand, there is reciprocity in the relationship because of that the money being paid, you know, the way I like to see it is, I am supporting my clients, and they are supporting me, we are doing that in a different way, you know, that financial support is what feeds my children, you know, and I am offering emotional support in whatever they're going through or spiritual support, however you want to understand it. Um, so are we allowed to be affected by our work, to enjoy our work, to feel inspired by our work. Um, I think it's not it's not that it's not right or wrong. It is right. It's more of an acknowledgement that healing happens through us. And we're playing different roles today. Like I'm in the role of helper and you're in the role of helped, you know, but we're all people and we're, we're going through this together. And I think part of the trouble is that therapy is such a individualistic model, you know, which is why I really like to balance individual work with, with group and community work because to re, you know, to remember that we are, you know, like the pinky finger on the hand we're, We are just a pinky finger, but we're actually part of this much larger organism. And especially when it comes to these collective traumas that you're mentioning, you know, these um, environmental disasters or mass shootings, these sorts of things. This is community grief work. And yes, we are healed by recognizing that we're not alone in it. And that is, is good and well for that to be in that. You know, another way to look at it around the money, right? So it's like, okay, well, I'm in the role of helper and my client's in the role that helped, but I'm actually also being helped. You know, I'm actually also healing through this interaction. Well, you can also look at it with the money, right? The, the client is paying this money, or like you said, maybe the well, in a private practice, right, if the client's paying the money, what if it's also helpful to them to actually invest in themselves and say, like, this is worth it. I am actually going to make, you know, pay money and put in that time to receive. That's powerful, you know, and when it comes to, you know, grant funding or, insurance companies, like, yay, let's have the collective support the healing work of the people. That is healthy for a society. You know, it's it's
0: this, the system that is sick. You mentioned kind of seeing a therapist as a pinky finger. But I, I think that refocus is helpful because then we appreciate ourselves as part of a larger system. Number one, giving us ability to maybe to access that larger system or encourage our clients to access that larger system, but also to be able to acknowledge the drawbacks of that larger system and then to be navigating it together with a client. What are your final thoughts that you want to give to listeners just to conceptualize their role in the healing professional, their um, own humanity and how to access that integrity that you've spoken about and, and, and embrace our shadow sides as just part of the normal human condition.
1: Yeah, well, a couple of things I guess I'd say to to the helping professionals is it's really important to have spaces in your life where you can be a vulnerable human being amongst other vulnerable human beings. You know, so where you can be in community and just be a person and not be the leader, not be in charge, not have to have it together and and to actually be witnessed in that and that can be very hard for people who are willing to be you know, who are in caregiving roles and are used to always being on the helper side of that equation. And it's, it's therapy. And it's, it's all sorts of things like it doesn't have to only be therapy, right? There's, there's all sorts of ways that we can be in community and just be a person. So I think that's important to, to come back into our own humanity. And also know that a support system is more than just people, right? We need the trees, we need fresh air and, you know, flowing rivers and to just get back on the earth. And I mean, even the science is showing this now, you know, forest bathing or look at the science on earthing and grounding, you know, it's like we we need to get back into our bodies and be in nature and just remember, like, we're only here for so long, you know, all of us, some of us Longer than others. Um, so all all of what we do is important and we're just we're just here, you know it's like I'm just breathing and sitting and talking right now. And the mind has lots more to say about that. But when I can come back and just be in this moment, that's the where the source of replenishment is. So I guess I, I just want, you know, if it to, people to leave this conversation, knowing that they're not alone in how they're feeling and that it really is okay to, you know, make the changes slowly, you yes. know, slowly in very small steps that are necessary so that you can feel well about what you're doing. There's we're, we're not meant to just be human garbage cans here, just collecting, you know, all of the, all of the pain and suffering of the world. We have to, we have to go compost that, you know, we have to release it. And I, you know, honor anyone who is
0: working through that process in their own way. I think that was my favorite quote of the whole interview is we're not meant to be human, human garbage cans. As a really quick recap, I'm imagining that if you had this um, magical prescription pad <laughs> for the healers listening in to replenish to compost, on that would be perhaps therapy, if that's a service that is helpful for you to be vulnerable, Um, reconnect with the earth, like be part of nature. Um, I, I kind of view it as... Uh, checkity checking our cognition for a little bit, being back in our bodies, not being all up in our frontal Mm -hmm. lobe, but trying to just experience Mm -hmm. again. So this element of mindfulness, integration of nature and connecting back into the earth at large, that we're not just human beings, Mm -hmm. we're animals as well what would the other mandates Mm -hmm. be? What would be on your prescription pad where you could say, these are the things that you need to do to replenish ideally?
1: Well, one way I think of therapy is a very receptive work, right? We're, We're showing up and then we're receiving and we're responding. So, the balance is to have places for expression. So, um, and expression can take all sorts of forms depending on what you enjoy, right? So, expression could look like writing or singing or art or something that, or movement, you know, something that is letting it out as opposed to just taking it in. So, I, I think that that is a, a huge part of, um, doing being well in doing this work is just remembering that we need balance ourselves and so you know going back to what i said before about we need to be high maintenance around this type of self-care and expression right because it's an occupational hazard of the job you know this the the weight that we can feel, you know, the emotional weight and the burnout. And so in order to because that comes with the job, we need more, let's say, alone time, quiet, unfocused time or um, expressive modalities that we do. We need more humor in our lives, right? We need more lightness. We have to balance this, you know, like the yin yang, we have to find our own inner balance to be whole, because we are sitting with a lot of suffering. And so it's important for us not to forget the, the beauty in life also. And I think, you know, in terms of prescription, it is so individual because each person, um What's going to fill your cup might be different than what's going to fill mine. And so it's it's really about getting honest with yourself and saying, this isn't working, you know, and what do I truly need? And then trusting. And I do think, you know, as any therapist knows, it's like small changes, one at a time, you know, step by step. What's the very next small step
0: that would help me feel more whole? And as you said that I suddenly heard the song, do the next right thing in my head from Frozen 2. (laughs) for any folks who are with young children or have young children yourselves you know what i'm talking about um julia thank you for spending this time with us i really appreciate it i'm going to absolutely be spending my own time kind of uh marinating in in what you've shared today and I hope that it's also been beneficial for our listeners. For folks who want to learn more about you and about your work, can you share how to do that, please?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, everything's on my website, which is just my my name.com. You can um, check out my blog or sign up for my mailing list. I do not bombard people with emails. I try to just write when there's something to say. Um, you can check out the Release and Empower Women's Circle and see if if that's something you've been craving, you know. If you need some support around, around expression, around releasing, then check that out. Um, and I also, there's a, a really affordable little practice book called When You're Having a Hard Time, The Little Book That Listens, for anyone who just, you know, Needs a practice to get started with, and yeah, I'm I'm open to connection. So just go to the website and check out
0: what's Wonderful. there. Wonderful, thank you, thank you for sharing this space, uh, healer to healer, healing to healing. I appreciate you spending this time with us. Uh, thank you, thank you so much, Beth, for having me.